welcome to Advent Christian Voices with the Renewed Church Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reynolds, and I'm joined by the illustrious Justin Nash. We're here uh, seeking to lead the discussion while providing practical advice on church health among Advent Christian churches. Justin, how are you? How are you, man? I am doing very well. I hope things are good in Massachusetts. They're they're pretty good. We got another storm coming tomorrow, so uh, so keep us in your prayers. <laughs> I'm I'm not one for uh, for the cold. So uh, we are doing our second podcast, uh, pretty much going over the introduction of what church health is. So uh, our first question, or I'll, I'll give you the the five questions that we're going to cover today. Uh, first, getting healthier will will require change. Uh, honesty is key to being uh, healthy. Staying healthy requires ongoing effort. A healthy church is the work of the Holy Spirit. And for the church to be healthy, Jesus must be Lord. Uh, that doesn't sound too groundbreaking right there. Um, so, Justin, what do we mean when we say that getting healthier will, re- will require change? Well, I think the reality is it should be common sense that if what you're doing is not working, if what you're doing is not making you healthy, then you're going to have to do something different. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like common sense, right? But you'd be surprised. Um, A lot of churches just think, well, if we just keep doing what we're doing, we're somehow going to get different results. And the reality is uh, to be healthier is going to require change. A lot of times the change is pretty apparent, uh, but it's hard. And so people choose not to do it. It's just like if you're if you're overweight, then look, the solution to that is generally not very hard. Eat better and exercise. But a lot of people have trouble with that. And in the church, your church is unhealthy and they just keep people are just like, well, we don't need to change. We just need to keep doing what we're doing. And, and it's a bit, I mean, as foolish as it is, it's just a common sense thing that we've got to admit. We, you have to change to get healthier. There's just no way around it. Well, we're creatures of habit. So we don't, you know, we don't want to really, and this is generally with anyone, even, even those of us who uh, can adapt to change really well, uh, even there, there's a lot of uncertainty. So if you've been doing things for the last 30 years the same way, then, uh, you know, kind of stepping out into the unknown is a bit scary for you. Right. Well, I mean, you think about it. You think in the Northeast, for instance, how many you have churches up there that are 150 years old in this denomination and 150 years worth of, of experience and 150 years worth of doing things a certain way that can, man, you know, it's that gets rooted deeply into people and it can be really, really hard to change. But change is going to be necessary. If you continue to do things the way you've been doing things, you're going to get the same results you've been getting. Mm-hmm. The only way to get different results is to do things differently. And, and again, we mentioned this in the first podcast, but I'd just like to reiterate it here. We're not talking about changing our theological convictions unless our theological convictions are unbiblical. Uh, but we're really talking about changing, uh, I think, in large part, seeing our theological convictions uh, come out and, and how they practically play out. A lot of us have this cognitive, cognitive dissonance that um, our theology and what we do don't necessarily match up. We believe that God is Lord. We believe that Jesus is Lord over our lives, but we don't act that way. Similarly, we believe that Jesus has died for the church, uh, bringing us together through the gospel, but we don't really act that out. Right. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And 
and so there is that dissonance there and what we between what we say and what we do but it is just it, it continues to be remarkable and a lot of it does go back to the fact change is hard sometimes change is painful change can affect our personal preferences and desires and and really that's just it, it's a tough thing and leading change in any organization is tough it can be particularly difficult in a church but if we're going to get healthier it means we have to do something differently than we've been doing it and that's going to require change on some level they say if if it's don't if it's, if it isn't broke don't fix it uh, a lot of times our systems and whatnot are working in the way i think uh of of gospel transformation and it's broken and we do need to fix it um right i, I think you make a I think you make a good point about contextualization. I mean, a lot of it, our churches need to change because the culture has changed around them. And the message never changes. The gospel is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. But the means of delivering that gospel uh, may need to change. Mm -hmm. And we may need to minister. You know, you think about it particularly when we're in a really a post-Christian culture where mm -hmm. cultural Christianity is on, on serious decline. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does change the way that we reach out to people. You know, an example is before we could have a come and see mentality in the church because cultural Christianity had so conditioned people. Well, you go to church. That's what you do. Now that's not the case, and so now we have to really have a more um, missional mindset of a go and tell uh, rather than expecting the people to come and see. And that's hard for a lot of churches that have flourished in cultural, Christian, uh, cultural Christianity but are, are really struggling now as, as the world around them has changed. And I think when you're going through change or you're recognizing that change, I think there are two key things that we have to uh, be reminded of. First, begin with prayer. Uh, absolutely begin with prayer. And uh, at the end of chapter nine um, uh, of Matthew, Jesus uh, is talking to his disciples. and He's about to send the apostles out uh, to reach Israel. And he begins to pray. He says, pray for the workers because the har the harvest is, is vast and the workers are few. And he didn't say go start a 10 step leadership process or program, but he says, begin with prayer. And I think that even when we're talking about revitalization or seeking to make changes, we must begin with prayer. And secondly, we need to stay humble and teachable. Uh, if we if we don't, then we're not going to be able to learn and we're not going to be able to progress and move forward. If we think, and, and this is a red flag, if you believe or someone in your church believes, hey, the way we get people in the door, I, they know where our church is and they can come whenever they decide to come. That is a red flag. That is a red flag. And um, we need prayer for that person, even for our own hearts when we think that way. And we need to pray for the community and pray for those that we, um, that we're called to reach. Yeah. Yeah. Great points. Great points. So next, uh, honesty is key to being healthy. What, what do you mean by that, Justin? Yeah. The reality is you have to be willing to make an honest assessment of the situation. A lot of times we don't want to do that because it can be painful, but we have to prepare ourselves to, to face the truth no matter what, because in the end, denial can be deadly. I mean, it really can. It, it can have some deadly consequences. When you think about it, um, you know, your blood sugar doesn't is going to be if it's 600 just not facing that is not going to end well for you. Mm -hmm. and, and it's the same way in the church. If there are 
if there is serious unhealth and if there are some real core issues contributing to that, just ignoring it is not going to make it go away. It's actually going to make it worse. And that's something people really, and it, but it's hard because confronting the, the brutal facts of the current re reality um, can be really painful because it can be an, an indictment of, of some people sometimes, people who were historically a part of the church, who may be grandparents or parents or people who are part of the church now even. They see it as a personal indictment sometimes. But the reality is you got to be honest. If you don't start with honesty, it, it, nothing's going to work out well for you. The flip side is if you do start with honesty, then – a lot of times the corrective measures can be self-evident. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a church health expert to figure out, oh, well, this is what we need to do differently. Mm -hmm. So it's a powerful thing, but it's hard for us as human beings to do, especially in the church, because it's so, there's so much sort of emotional and, and dare I even say political kind of baggage that goes along with being honest sometimes. You know, uh, uh, I – worked a lot with in the I worked in the intelligence community while I was in the army and, and you get to learn a lot about people uh when you work in that in that type of field. And one of the things that I've learned, this is anecdotal, so uh so take it for what it's worth, but we lie to ourselves more often than we tell the truth, I think. And and it's for our own comfort. And that's why that's why I think reading scripture is so important um in the life of um, us as disciples and in the life of the church, because we're confronted with the lies that we tell ourselves and are convicted under the Holy Spirit. How how often when you've gone to different churches and whatnot and try and do your natural church development assessments um, in vague terms or, or as vague as you can be, how often do you find that people are actually lying? To, like, don't even recognize like there's no ill intent, but mm -hmm. they're not being honest with themselves. Oh, yeah. No, no, and individually. No, it happens all the time. I think it's Chuck Colson that said that the human heart has an infinite capacity for self-deception. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true even on the church. And so one of the ways to get around that is to have an outside set of eyes. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a consultant or anything. It can just be somebody from outside that can be really helpful. You can do things like a, a really helpful little thing is to have a secret shopper at your church. You know, this, uh, this person that, that you come in and, and you've asked very specifically to just, hey, come in and, and kind of evaluate what happens. It can be having um, another pastor in the area just kind of yeah. come and sit and talk. So so having an outside set of eyes is very important. Uh, to, to answer your question more specifically, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, not so much with any of the churches that I've been a part of with natural church development, but there's some pretty famous uh, stories. Um, and I actually know a consultant who worked with the church right now and he he went, they did the survey, they um, got the results back, and the pastor just said, uh, okay, thanks. We, we've decided we're going to go in a different direction. Oof. And it was just because he didn't like what the results were. Mm -hmm. Now, I know another guy who um, that I met, and they he was the pastor of a church, and they did NCD, and the minimum factor sort of the weakest point uh, actually, it was him with his sermons. and But to this guy's credit, he was like, okay, this is where we are. We're going to fix that. We're going to move forward. And so it's just an example, two, you know, two different examples of one set of folks being willing to be honest 
and the other not. Now, the the guy who made the decision to face up things, his church is getting healthier. He's they're doing better. They're improving. This other church is continuing to slide. It's gradual, but it's continuing to slide because the pastor just wasn't willing to to and maybe it wasn't just him. Maybe it was larger, broader leadership of the church. I don't really know the details there, but but his response to the consultant working with him was just like, yeah, we're not, we're that's not right. We're not going to do it. It's it's deadly to do that. It's just deadly. Yeah, I think whenever you open your church up to someone else to to scrutinize and to uh, consult, you know, if you already have a predetermined outcome in mind, anything that they say that it doesn't match that predetermined outcome is going to be difficult. And I, and I love your example of the need to have a secret shopper or another pastor come in, maybe a group of people come in over the course of three to six months. Tom Rainer talks about that all the time and can really give you a perspective. You know, how many times do churches say, oh, we're the, we're the nicest church in the area? You know, we just have people who are nice and wonderful. And really, they are nice and wonderful people, but only to each other. Right. And then, you know, um, and but they're not you know, that welcoming to those who might be new to the church. And, and of course, like I, I'm an introvert by nature. And, uh, although I don't, I don't come across like it, it takes a lot of effort, uh, to be around people for me. Like I, I would rather sit around read books all day. Um, and like, I get exhausted uh, being around people and it's just a drain for me, but I do enjoy it. So just because I'm an introvert doesn't mean I don't enjoy, um, being around people, but, um, if I go into a new church and a new environment and I have every single member come up to me and shake my hand and say, welcome, like I get uncomfortable. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't need that, but you know, some nice smiles, a couple of handshakes. Hey, you know, my name's so-and-so that's nice. That's wonderful. But don't inundate people either. It, at least that's my perspective coming from an introvert who's in the church, who is a pastor who, you know, maybe I, maybe I should welcome them uncomfortable more often. But uh, ultimately, not everybody's at that level of, of spiritual awareness, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So um, so moving on, uh, staying healthy requires ongoing effort. Yeah, and here's goes back to sort of it's related to the first point. Uh, church revitalization, getting healthier, can be long, hard, and, and really painful work. I mean, there's just no way around that. If you, if you look at... at at the literature and you talk to people who do church revitalization particularly um they the the general rule is it will be three to five years in a revitalization effort before you will begin to see positive momentum or positive direction three to five years that's a long time and particularly when you combine that fact with the average pastoral tenure in the united states now is like three and a half years you can see why a lot of churches don't get healthy because they never really once they're even getting to that point and getting a little momentum, the pastor's often checking out. And so having that is just keeping that in mind that, look, this is going to be hard and, and that's okay. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it does require that just dependence on the Lord. And also really um, it, it's why one person can't do it themselves. Because you really need other people for that mutual encouragement and that mutual accountability. So when things do get difficult, you have somebody that's going to come alongside you and say, hey, look, we agreed together. We're going to push through this and we're going to figure this out together. So it's really important. And kind of related to that, one of the things you want to think about is is really the spiritual dimension of this. 
when a church has declined to a point that it's being unfruitful and ineffective and almost on the verge of death, that's something the enemy is going to be really pleased with. So anytime somebody goes in, whether it's a pastor or a leadership group that's already there and says, hey, we, we're going to seek the Lord. We're really going to work to, to, with his help to revitalize this. The, the enemy is not going to be very pleased about that. And so you're going to get a lot of kind of, of retaliation, a lot of obstruction in that. And, and so things can get difficult. And that's why we really just got to be committed and say, look, this is going to be steady, ongoing work. Um, but in our day of instant gratification, we just want a silver bullet that's going to be 12 easy steps or 40 days to fix it. And it's just not going to happen. Yeah. You know, I, one thing that sticks with me when we talk about having an ongoing effort is that, like, I want to offer encouragement to, to people out there who are in leadership. Even if you're a church member and you're listening to this, don't quit when it gets tough. It's going to get tough. Uh, it's probably going to get tougher before it gets better. And I, you know, I firmly believe that we remain faithful and um, we follow where the Lord is leading us. And, you know, if we're trying to go from a church that has a lot of unhealth and, and you're doing things that necessarily aren't, aren't biblical, but you're dealing with a lot of tradition that gets in the way of certain things sometimes. And I'm not saying we should cast out um, all tradition. Uh, in fact, if you, you know, maybe we'll do this another time, but if you asked me about what my liturgical worship preference would be, many people would be shocked. Um, but, you know, we can't let tradition or how we've always done things get in the way of what the future gospel ministry could look like as we become more faithful. You know, one of the things I was talking with some pastors about this last night, most, a lot of our churches have, you know, an incredible amount of uh, boards and board seats in our churches. And that that's, you know, that comes to us through our, you know, our congregational government that, that many of our churches have um, because we refuse to believe in, you know, an elder-led government, which is biblical. But that's another thing. Um, that was that was Eric Reynolds. Yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that was Eric Reynolds. My email address is jnash at acgc.com. <laughs> Uh, is it, uh, just kidding. But, um, you know, a lot of these things are in a total congregational government isn't all bad, but it often get in the way because when you have maybe a strong leader or a strong couple of leaders in your church and they see the biblical evidence for what our structure should look like or to try and get rid of some of these boards and board seats, because when we have 10 people in the church, people are going to be upset with that and they're going to push back. And um, not all the time, but a lot of the time, that's the case. So um, when you're going through those tough transitions and you're, uh, so how are we going to run a church without having, you know, eight boards with six members on each board? Um, you know, I would push back and say, well, how are you going to fill those board seats when you only have 15 people in your church? Doesn't, you know, doesn't make any sense. So it's going to get tough. Just keep, just keep chugging along and uh, remain faithful and, and keep it in prayer. You know, I think that, in the process of revitalization and church renewal, if you're not, if your devotional life is jacked up, things are not going to go well. Um, you have to be rooted in the word of God. And from there, I think there's an outflowing of your ministry. I think we've, ex maybe we've exhausted that one. Let's move on to the next question. A healthy church is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a, it's kind of important. 
important as well because we can get so caught up in our part in all this, our efforts, our programs, our processes, that we forget what we're talking about here. The church is not like any other organization. It is the is a living organism empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Mm. Now, that should give us a lot of confidence, even when our churches are struggling, because we are serving a God who brings dead things to life. Mm-hmm. It can bring fruit from barrenness. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that that happens. And so we need to make sure that we are constantly seeking his power, seeking his guidance, seeking his wisdom to make this happen because it can get very easy to think this is all our job. And that can be, that can have two effects. That can be just, it can eventually crush you under the weight and the responsibility of that. Mm-hmm. And, or it can, it can just fill you with pride, particularly if you begin to see success. Mm-hmm. And cause I know, I, I, I mean, I could name guys right now that, will tell you, well, if you just do A, B, C, and D, then your church is going to grow and be healthy. Well, those things may be good things and they may be right things. And But if the Holy Spirit's not there, whatever you, you get out of that is not real. Mm-hmm. And it's manufactured by people. And so it's, it's a constant reminder that we can't do this on our own, number one. But number two, it should make us hopeful. Again, this is the Holy Spirit that showed up at Pentecost, and one day 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. So is he going to do that in every church? I don't know. But he's the same Holy Spirit now that he was then, who's still capable of the same kind of incredible work. And I think it's important that we remember that, especially in times of discouragement. Um, but it should also humble us to remind us that, hey, we, we no matter how gifted we are, we cannot do this on our own. I think you hit the nail on the head. We can have, it's important to put, I think, individuals and leaders in places that they can flourish based on their gifts and the needs of each congregation. But ultimately, you can have the most gifted pastor in the world uh, if the Holy Spirit isn't actively working in that individual, the individuals in that church body and in that community, you're not going to see changes. You know, I'm reminded of, uh, you know, of Nehemiah, where, you know, he is approached and is told about the situation of, uh, of Jerusalem. And he goes back and that's, you know, the Holy Spirit's role is different now for the church than it was uh, for Israel. Uh, but ultimately, you see the spirit working, even in that circumstance, to lead individuals to, to be in a certain place. And, and through the work of God, uh, Nehemiah is able to lead a revitalization of Jerusalem. And um, I think we see that today. You know, I think we see um, the spirit leading individuals to certain places. But not only that, we see the spirit working in individuals and in the church. If there's a renewal within the hearts of the congregation, that doesn't come. I'm convinced of this. This doesn't come apart from the reading of the word, including with the preaching of the word and the work of the Spirit as that is applied to each individual. The Spirit is the one who regenerates our hearts, and the Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin. Um, and 
likewise, the spirit is the one that's going to lead us towards repentance of whatever sin might be involved in our local congregations and um, will cause us to act in faith and rely on, on God. Because, you know, we learn in Ephesians 5.25 that Christ established the church by his blood. But the spirit is the one who works in the church. I am. I, I was reminded by a professor, as some of us were um, sharing uh, what our perfect church might look like. And he used this, uh, this scripture, Ephesians 5.25, to really admonish us and say, you know, guys, whatever you think the perfect church is, that's never going to happen. And that's not God's design. Um, and the dissatisfactions that you might have with, with other Christians and, and churches and whatnot, ultimately you have to understand who you're talking about. And who you're talking about are the ones who Christ has purchased with his blood. Yeah. And when you when that resonate when that really takes hold in your heart, like you fall under a deep level of uh, of conviction. I think. Yeah, I heard a great, great quote from a guy named Mark Clifton. He said he was talking to the pastor specifically. He says, "You make sure you love the church you have, not the one you wish you had." Mm-hmm. And so I think that really is, aligns itself with what you're saying there. I, I think the, the uh, kind of a danger, I guess, kind of a, a, a warning here is we also we want to be careful that when we recognize this is the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, for whatever reason, God and his sovereignty and his wisdom chooses to use people. And yeah. so you talk about applying the scriptures. Well, that means we actually have a part to play. We have something yeah. to do. And I think uh, there, there's also this sense for some people, okay, well, we're just going to kind of be here and keep doing what we're doing, and then the Holy Spirit will show up. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he certainly can, but uh, I think, I don't know, you just don't see that much in the Bible. You generally see the Holy Spirit showing up when, when God's people are being obedient. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, great points, uh, great points. Lastly, for the church to be healthy, Jesus must be Lord. Yeah, and this really piggybacks off the last one and, and the things that you just said. Uh, we have to come to grips with who the church belongs to, right? The reality is we probably couldn't walk into a single church that we know right now and ask who the church belongs to and get an answer different than Jesus, right? Every, that's what everybody would say. Mm-hmm. But how do they actually act? How do they actually respond when change comes, when something different needs to happen in the church? Um, How do they respond when they have to surrender something? And it is about being surrendered to Jesus um, because every church belongs to him. To your point, he's the one who purchased it with the high price of his blood. And so in every church, his preferences have to rule. His will must be supremed. And there are going to be times in in church health and revitalization and change that you're going to have to lay things down or let them go. There may even be cases in some church situations where it's time for the church to die in such a way with grace and dignity to leave a legacy for other gospel ministry. And, And those are going to be hard decisions to make. But if Jesus is supreme, then those things will be easier mm-hmm. when you keep his will and his ownership in front of you at all times. Mm-hmm. We, we simply cannot believe that the church belongs to us. When we start acting as if the church belongs to us, we will always make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. I, man, that's a, that's a key point. It, it reminds me of an argument I had uh, several years ago. I was really early on in my walk with Christ and we we're going to a church and 
my wife, myself, and a and a, old, a more mature believer, um, we're having a conversation. My wife were, and I were arguing of of who the church we're going to, who it belonged to. Right, my um, one of us was saying, you know, it's the the pastor who, you know, it's his church, and you know, we kind of got to follow what what he says. And um, the other was saying, well, it's the church of the people. You know, he kind of has to do what the church or the church people desire and whatnot. And we went on for maybe twenty or thirty minutes, man. And then this person just kind of chuckled and said, "You both are idiots. Um, the church doesn't belong to either entity. The church belongs to Christ." And um, in that admonishment, I learned a great deal. And now I look back and think about how foolish we both were in having those conversations and just not having a biblical understanding of who the church belongs to and what the church is. You know, we, in our terminology, we say, you know, my church, your church, and we're referring to the local body that each of us belongs to. Uh, But ultimately that plays out in a lot of how we do revitalization and have conversations with people. Um, because a lot of people say, well, this is my church and you're not going to do this without, you know, my saying it's okay and this and that. And um, that's harmful. And I think we have to rightly understand that the church it belongs to Christ. It, it is the, the, what unites us is the blood of Christ, but we are stewards of, uh, of the resources that he's given to us in this local body. Um, and we have to, manage it likewise yeah and i'll just related to that and i think this is a key element of any church revitalization effort Mm -hmm. and this is for pastors and leaders particularly to heed this the single most important thing a pastor can do in a church revitalization is to teach his people to love jesus above all else Mm -hmm. because when if we value jesus more than anyone or anything, if we see him for who he is, if we see him in his glory, if we understand his sacrifice, the depths of his love and his grace and his mercy, it will change us and it will change the practice in our churches. Mm -hmm. But until Jesus is supreme in our hearts, that's going to be very difficult. Mm -hmm. And we're never going to love him the way we should, Mm -hmm. but we can always love him more. And as he begins to grow and his supremacy in our lives individually, then he will grow in his supremacy in our churches. And so that's key to pastors. And that goes back to particularly to the, the offices of preaching and teaching and making sure that constantly people are being pointed to Jesus and that his, the depths of what he has done have been, are being expounded and constantly elucidated for people. Yeah, Jesus has to be at the center of all things. Right. He has to be at the center of our lives. That is what he has called us to. And we have to be willing to cast aside everything like not not just the things that are convenient. Right. You know, um, oh, I'm going to fast today so I can focus on Christ. That in itself isn't a a bad thing. But if you're fasting and saying, well, I'm just going to diet so that I can lose weight and throw in a spiritual element in there, then you're missing the point. And likewise, if we are simply trying to make choices within the church for, for the purposes of, well, this will help draw people in. Um, and there's no Christ centeredness in it. Like if we're just looking at our community and saying, we need more people in the church, we have a problem. But if we rightly understand what 
you know, Christ's place in our lives and what he has called us to, which is to be on mission, we'll say we belong here. Christ has us here for a purpose, which is to be missionaries in our community. And we need to go out. We exist for the purpose of our community. Um, so any closing thoughts there, Justin? No, I think just to close with that, I, what we just said, and really the key to, <laughs> I get, you know, people say, wow, this is profound, but, but, it, but it is true that um, G, if Jesus is not at the center, you can forget revitalizing the church being revitalized because it's his church and he's jealous for his glory. And we, we want to do everything we can to, to shine and reflect that glory as best we can. But until he's at the center, until we love him supremely above all, all things, that will not happen. And so we need to tune our hearts and our minds and fix it on him. And he has to be our greatest affection. One thing that might be controversial, and if you disagree with this, you can email me at jnash at acgc.com. Um, you can absolutely grow your church. And I use that term loosely without Christ even being in there. Oh, sure. Um, you can absolutely do that. And that's a, that might be a topic for another conversation because we are, we're about out of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just want to, I thank everybody for listening. I thank uh, Justin uh, for being able to join us and his wisdom uh, because he is he's much wiser than me, I can tell because his hay, hair is grayer. So I have less uh, of it too. <laughs> so, um, so thanks, Justin. Uh, it's always fun. Hey, everybody, we uh, we appreciate you guys listening. If you have any input, any questions, or whatnot, please uh, email or comment at our um, at our webpage. Uh, and uh, we hope to that you guys will join us again. Uh, God bless, and until next time. Um, keep crushed at the center.